So we are finally up to the fourth of the Four Noble Truths. And I, I you know, I want to start, I'm not, I don't know what this has been like for y'all. I assume it's been worth it. You're still coming back. <laughs> for me, I first encountered, studied the Four Noble Truths as a sophomore in college. So I've known these teachings for a long, long time. And I have so appreciated revisiting them in um, fresh for me and spending um, kind of weeks on them um, and studying them. And just in my own life, um, it's been very, very fruitful. So I hope this has been useful for you. So the fourth noble truth, um, the first is uh, there is suffering in this life. The second is the most proximal cause is some, so, some version of clinging or craving, wanting. Um, the third is there's a way out. And the fourth is the eightfold path, um, the path, the way out. So what I want to do today is mostly set up the, the um, Eightfold Path, um, the Fourth Noble Truth. Uh, and if you study enough Buddhist psychology, you'll find out that the Buddha loved numbers. <laughs> so everything's there's the, the seven factors of awaking, the Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths, the, you know, the three marks of existence. Um, it's a very, very organized way of of thinking, uh, and a profound depth within them. So the fourth noble truth, this eightfold, the eightfold path, it is built <clears throat> directly out of the wisdom of the first three. The key observation of the first three uh, is that our habit patterns of relating to what's here in the moment can either increase our suffering or decrease our suffering. When we are caught up in reactive, often unconscious habits of clinging, this causes pain in our life. And we begin to see the truth of that through our own experience. When we interact with the first two noble truths, we began to, to bring what was unconscious more into conscious awareness, uh, which becomes direct inspiration for learning something different. And the third noble truth is there is a way out. Uh, there is this possibility of developing different habits, of bringing an awareness that is full of wisdom and kindness to the exact same kind of moment in our life in a way that allows a responsiveness, a choice, uh, an ability to work skillfully with the moment uh, in alignment with our deepest wishes, our deepest integrity, our deepest values. Uh, and we start to understand how that naturally has the effect of diminishing their suffering, of bringing us greater ease um, in our life. 
so the word habit, it's lots of things you read about the um, um, Four Noble Truths that you don't hear this word a lot, but I think it's a really helpful word um, to name what's being looked at. And, and the idea of skillful habit is really at the root um, of the power of the, of the Fourth Noble Truth, which is really all about how do we develop skillful habits that support our lives and dedication to the relief of suffering. So I'm sure every one of us knows something already about the power of habit. A quote unquote bad habit has the power to pull us down into its pit. <laughs> even when we can intellectually see its negativity and not want to go there, there is still this undertow of um, when we have like developed unskillful habit, it can have this undertow that can pull us down in there even with eyes open. And then a quote unquote good habit we all probably already know something, I would imagine, about the protection that it can offer um, against such um, a negative pull. And that the stronger our, our <laughs> we're going to talk about the words good and bad in just a moment, but just for the moment using them, the stronger our, our good habit is, the more powerful of a protection we have. Even reaching the place that eventually those negative habits, they don't even have a charge anymore. They're just not even part of our life. Um, I thought of a very random example of this last night when I was in the group. Um, um, I'm, I'm mostly vegan, but started uh, vegetarian at age 18 and really was um, from probably my entire high school years working towards it. I already had the, the ethics of what I wanted to do just didn't have the, um, the habit of being vegetarian yet. So I used to work at the Intimate Bookshop in South Park Mall. For those of you who've been here a long time, you remember the days when South Park Mall was actually kind of practical <laughs> and had things like a bookshop in it. Um, um, so in high school, I worked there. And even though I wanted to be vegetarian, there was a Chick-fil-A about three doors down from the intimate bookshop. My break would happen and against everything that I was trying to stand for, I'd walk straight to the Chick-fil-A and eat that sandwich. <laughs> Did it enough that, you know, even now I can still remember exactly what a Chick-fil-A sandwich tastes like. In those days, the habit of, of wanting that sandwich was so strong, I didn't really have something to counterbalance it. Now, you know, I'm 56 years old. That was so many years ago. I ate my last one when I was 18. I can't imagine at this point wanting one of those sandwiches. That's what we're doing with these, with these developing strong, good habits. We relieve a, a suffering and, and bring a different kind of ease in our life. It's much more easeful having a diet for me that is in alignment 
with um, um, more of my ethics. So this word good or bad um, in terms of habit, probably um, better is skillful or unskillful. Or even thinking about it as wholesome or unwholesome. What are skillful habits that make us stronger? What are unskillful habits that keep us stuck in a cycle of suffering? And it's interesting um, how neuroscience is now really unpacking what's behind our habits in a way that makes the fact that the Buddha 2,500 years ago put this at the cornerstone um, of, of this psychology um, um, really, really clear, really interesting. So what we now know about our brains is that our brains, a natural part of our brains, is that they are wired to develop habits. We're, we're built for this. Uh, and it makes sense evolutionarily. If I don't have this kind of wiring um, to develop habits quickly, then every time I get in a car, I have to remember how to drive a car. I have to think through all of the steps again and again and again. And oh, that would be exhausting and not productive, not very effective. And I can imagine we wouldn't even have cars. Um, so, so there is this natural part of our brain that develops habits in support of our life. And this same part of our brain can be tricky. When habits that we are developing play into the survival part of the brain in any way, shape, or form, those habits develop the fastest and they're the hardest to let go of. Again, evolutionarily, this makes sense. You think of the little child who... Um, is finally tall enough to reach up to the kitchen counter, sees that bright red thing, wonders what it is, and reaches up and touches it. It's the hot stove. It takes one touch to remember for the rest of that child's life. Even if it was before conscious memory, um, doesn't even have to be a conscious memory. That child for the rest of its life will not want to put its hand in fire. It is, and, and that's the kind of learning um, related to our survival that's really important um, for, for us to make it um, as, as a living being. But what about when the habit that we learn that plays into our survival instinct is actually not healthy for us? Um, it's great when I'm learning, don't put my hand in fire. Maybe it's not so great when I have this um, instinctual drive, habit drive to really fatty, rich foods that, uh, might, that the Chick-fil-A sandwich might fall into um, um, that, that in the hunter-gatherer days when there was stress, it, it made sense for evolutionarily there to be this drive for these, these very high fat, high rich foods to protect us in times of stress. 
Now, when high, high fat, rich foods are in an overabundance and offered everywhere, that same once protective drive um, can become a, easily become, because it plays into the survival part of the brain, um, become a habit that leads to tremendous suffering and disease in, in our lives. So, you know, at its root, survival instinct is fight, flight, freeze. If you think of basically any negative addiction, um, any bad habit, and you look deep enough, you are bound to find the roots in some form of fight, flight, freeze. That's why those habits are so strong and so hard to kick. Just, you know, example, alcohol alcoholism, you talk to anyone who's ever struggled with alcohol, it is a flight survival tactic. It's just a maladaptive one um, to escape and to get away, to run. So remembering that um, um, negative habits, habits causing suffering in our life, really are playing with some aspect of our survival system means they're easier to develop and they're harder to release if we don't have appropriate protections in place. This is where the fourth noble truth really comes in. Um, understanding how easy it is to go there really gives us the impetus. You know, the first, the first two um, noble truths, suffering and cause of clinging, that's the training to wake us up to the need um, 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 for the fourth, the protections of the fourth noble truth. The third noble truth gives us a taste of, and this is possible. And so once we have this clear inspiration from the first three, it's much easier to embark on the path of the fourth. How do I embrace my way out? when it's maybe even counter to, um, to the maladaptive survival instinct that can be playing in, in, in a really strong way. And we also begin to get um, inspiration that we have to do this work now. There is no other time available to us to work with these, these issues. Um, if we want a future with less suffering, it matters right now what we do and how we train to open that possibility up for ourselves. So the fourth noble truth is basic training for wiser, kinder, more responsive habits that diminish the suffering in our own lives and diminish the suffering that we can cause in other people's lives as well. So the fourth noble truth is, is spelled out in the eightfold path. Um, um, and as I said, these are eight steps that are in support of a compass compassionate wish to diminish suffering in the world. Um, and in its ultimate expression, to learn to live a life that's free of suffering. The eightfold path um, is... Um, um, 
right view, sometimes called right understanding, uh, right intention, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, uh, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. That word right can be kind of confusing. Um, it's really meant to point to a balanced view, a balanced um, mindfulness, a skillful, wise view or mindfulness. Uh, um, so, so different words of translation are possible there that, that might serve better um, for different people. And these aren't meant to be any kind of linear training. It's not like you start at step one, you spend you know, several years on that, and then you'll go to step two. They're really, and the Eightfold Path is really often presented in a circle, circular way. All of the factors support and nourish each other. Um, um, and all have the possibility of, of um, um, supporting this moment right now. They're usually broken up into three groups. Uh, the wisdom practices, which are uh, the right view and the right intention. It's like, can I bring my wise mind to that? And what's really interesting, even as that's called, and we'll talk about this next week when we start with this grouping, um, um, even though this is called the wisdom kind of practice, the wisdom focus on it, in the heart of right view and right intention is compassion. So we can't have a balanced view, a balanced intention without having the heart qualities um, right there as a part of it. Uh, the second grouping are the meditation practices, uh, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. Concentration's not a great translation. The, the Pali word is samadhi. Uh, and it means this more this relaxed, clear, present opening. Um, not often what we think of concentration as I have to get it right on the test. Um, so we don't really have a good English word for, for samadhi uh, and concentration is often popped in there, but you can't say it without some sort of, of um, caveat uh, because it's, it needs to acknowledge something different than a tight contracted state. And the third one are the ethical practices, um, the, the compassionate living practices, right action, right livelihood, and right effort. So these are never meant to be a rigid prescription. Rather, they are offered as an experiment. What happens in your life um, when you live um, from that place of clearest wisdom strongest compassionate heart, living from our values. Um, what happens when we, when we embrace this full heartedly uh, as a path of life? And I just wanna end, I'll end with a quote and a very short Rumi poem. Uh, the quote is one uh, that I think about a lot. I'm not sure I actually share it very often, but I often think about it. It uh, actually comes from the singer Jennifer Lopez um, and beautiful. 
what she says is when you sing from the heart, it changes the phrasing. And so this eightfold path, the fourth noble truth, when we explore these from the heart, not as a rigid prescription, as a must do, as a straight jacket I have to get myself in, but rather as an opening of heart. It changes how they manifest in our lives. And the last is this little short four-liner from Rumi. Travelers, it is late. Life's sun is going to set. During these brief days that you have strength, be quick and spare no effort of your wings. So let's sit for a moment. Thank you.